0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the DE Podcast. I'm joined by Akim Rage, and we have a very special guest. You guys might recognize him from earlier episodes, but we have Mitchell Stevens, the Detroit fan himself, in the building. And, you know, today we have a very big conversation. We're talking about the finals, of course. Um, you know, we have the series tied up at 2-2, and we have so many exciting things to talk about Um just before we begin, I was wondering, who are you guys cheering for in the finals overall? For me, I, I'm going Celtics.
1: Uh, I just don't like, I don't want Steph to have the same number of rings as LeBron. Um, yeah, so Celtics for me.
2: Yeah, I like Boston. I like Jason Tatum. I think he's one of my favorite young players in the league. And for him to get a ring now would be, would really kickstart his, um, you know, path to stardom.
0: In the league. Yeah, yeah I'm almost cheering for the Celtics. Just not, I mean, I just think it would be cool for Boston to win because I feel bad for them after all these years to keep losing, even though they, they had good teams. Um, but just a little rundown of the finals, we'll go game by game. Um, so the series is obviously tied up at 2 2. We had game five in San Francisco on Monday night. So the Celtics did take game one in an upset. The Warriors led by 12 to start the fourth quarter, and Boston somehow came back. And they went on a big run. They outscored the Warriors 40-16 to 16 in the fourth quarter alone. You had Al Horford, who scored 26, Derek White with 21, and Joe Brown with 24. And although Jason Tatum had a bad shooting night, Boston was still able to win the game. And then game two, you had Golden State come out, blowout win. Steph Curry played pretty well with 29 points, Jordan Poole behind him. And Jason Tatum did score well. But then you had Horford, White, and Brown, who all struggled despite their strong performances. Um, so it kind of gave us a little outlook on how, you know, the series can really change. And then game three is about when the Celtics favor um, Steph Curry scored 31 Boston led for most of the game. They had a strong third quarter with the Warriors to cut the lead to four. And then, but Boston did have a good fourth quarter and they won by, by 16. Um, Tatum Brown and smart all scored 20 plus showing their big three caliber. And then Draymond green continues to struggle in the entire series. And just last night in game four, you had Steph Curry, who dropped 43 points, um, and he had a really clutch fourth quarter performance. And the Celtics were up 97 to ninety-three with about two minutes left. The Warriors go on a 14 or a third, yeah, 14 nothing run, I believe, to finish the game. And then Draymond Green didn't, is not performing well this entire series. He has 15 points in his 18 fouls uh, which is not very good for, you know, Draymond when you're trying, when you're expecting more from him. So I think before we kind of talk about the overall series, like what do you think needs to happen from both teams? I mean, obviously we've seen, we had the Celtics win, the Warriors win, the Celtics win, the Warriors win. So it was kind of alternating and different things happen in each game. So what do you think both teams need to do specifically in order to win? Um, for me, at least for the Celtics side, they definitely need to, uh, they need
1: to get the ball into the paint. I think John talked about it on the last podcast too, but the Celtics have like two really solid big men, um, Al Horford and Robert Williams, who are really big paint presence both defensively and offensively. And meanwhile, for the Warriors, they're a lot smaller. They play Draymond at the five, Kevin and Mooney is usually their center. Um, so they're not very big. So if the Celtics can go back to getting a lot of paint points, winning the rebound battle then I definitely think that they should have this series in the bag. Like if you saw game one, um, Al Horford was scoring 26 points. Um, they were, they won the rebound battle by like 10 rebounds, I believe in game one, game three, similar story. They blew them out. They scored like, I think over 60 points in the paint or something. Um, so just overall, if the Celtics are bringing the ball to the rim and attacking that golden state defense, then I think that they should be able to get the result they want. And for the warriors, I think, Honestly, if Clay can start to produce again at a somewhat higher level, then they should be pretty good too.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, with the momentum that seems to be swinging back and forth, like a pendulum here going game for game, um, going into this fifth game, we've seen, I mean, obviously the highlights here, especially like with the Warriors, they've been just pretty much letting Steph cook and it seems to have been working on and off and it's more just kind of focusing on You know, what's accompanying him and, you know, what pieces have fallen off and what pieces have been able to step up. And obviously, if you look at Draymond, Draymond's been a piece that, you know, everybody's been talking about. He's been sloppy. He has not been himself. And despite that, they've been able to win two of these games. And you just wonder how different this could be if he comes into his own here later down the stretch. As for Boston, it seems that they've been, you know, they've been held to under 100 points twice so far it seems that they just haven't been able to really click. And you were talking about, you know, points in the paint, if they can just rely on their, I guess that you can call that their bread and butter with old reliable Al Horford, you know, pretty much reiterating a lot of what X said and just kind of, you know, just leaning on their, um, their strengths.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I mean, we've seen how like role players can really change the game because, like, for example, in game one, you had Tatum, who did not shoot well at all. He, I think he scored only, like, 10 points that game. But then you had, you know, Horford, Derek White, Joe Brown, all those guys who played well and they still managed to win. So um, it kind of shows that, I mean, I think both teams have those type of teams where, you know, even if your star doesn't play well, it doesn't mean you're going to lose. I mean, I think there's several teams in that, that have that case where if your star player doesn't play well, you're going to lose. Like those teams where you have one guy who leads a team, like LeBron in the Lakers, for example, maybe. Um, but you know, I think with the Warriors, if Curry doesn't play well, even though he's playing well, you know, practically the whole series, you know, Draymond Green is not playing well, which isn't, which is obviously a liability. And then Klay Thompson is, not, is, I mean, he's not playing bad, but you know, he's he's playing average. So especially in the finals where it's for a championship, it's for everything you've worked for. You know, they really need to step up. And then Jordan Poole actually not playing bad at all, so I think both teams have quite the potential to go um, and play well. Um, and also, the Warriors are one of the best three-point shooting teams in the NBA. You can't forget that. You have Steph, Clay, Jordan Poole. Like I can name probably four or five guys, and they're like they're. You have to, you know, the Celtics. They need to have good perimeter defense to guard them and then Steph Curry has been relying on so many of their forwards like Andrew Wiggins, Jonathan Kaminga, Kevon Looney where Curry always drives down there's an easy pass to them they dunk so Mm -hmm. the Celtics need to have some good interior defense as well Uh, so and the Celtics are one of the best defense so it's kind of like it's it's kind of a coincidence you have the Warriors one of the best shooting teams in the NBA and then the Celtics one of the best defensive teams in the NBA so it's kind of seeing can the Celtics translate their defense, the offense as well, and then the Warriors translate their three-point shooting into defense. That's what I think. Um, and you know everyone's playing well. I mean, just to go over a few of the series stats, you have Tatum averaging just over 22 points per game. I'm not going to go over everything, but you know shooting pretty decent. Decent J- Jalen Brown. Um, I-, I don't know if you guys have noticed this. Um, and I wanted to ask you guys about this because I'm, I'm just curious. So Jalen Brown, I mean, I don't know if you guys have watched every game of the finals, but I have. Um, he's played well every single first quarter. I mean, you've seen him score 15 plus points.
1: Yeah. Like, that's
0: yeah. yeah. So well, like, and he hasn't been scoring in those other quarters. Like, what do you guys, why do you guys think, do you think the Warriors are trying to like double team him, contain him? Um, what do you guys, why do you, why don't you guys think that he's like trying to translate his fourth, first quarter scoring into other quarters?
1: Uh, I think it's just simply because as the game progresses, like the, the, the entire court just closes down. So like the pace is much slower in the fourth quarter as opposed to the first quarter. Um, so you're gonna. I think that Jalen Brown is at his best when he's getting in transition, when he's getting buckets, um, from ball movement and stuff like that. I don't think isolation plays are really a speciality. Um, so I think it's just like the game slowing down and kind of. Becoming less of like a transition game over the course of the game, I would say. Yeah,
2: and I guess you can attribute that to a bit of maybe a lack of playoff experience. Maybe he's not used to just like such a like a high caliber, maybe on the other side of the court. And you know, it's he's he might be like a little bit fatigued going into those later quarters. Maybe not um, accustomed to it, and maybe that seems like a bit of a reach. I mean, he is a younger player in this league, but he plays already like he's. Um, you know one of the top talents and you'd think it could be you know lack of nba playoff experience perhaps
0: yeah Yeah. he does
2: have one of the highest plus minuses though in this in the tournament so far in the nba playoffs just as a whole him and um andrew wiggins actually
0: yeah no that makes sense because i keep for yeah experience plays a big part I mean, I think even with, like like we mentioned before, with Clay and Draymond not performing as well, especially in, in like, game five, six, and seven, you know, the Warriors have played plenty of game fives and sixes. Like, in 2015, 2016, you know, 2017, and 18, they did win pretty easily. But then 2019 against the Raptors, then, you know, obviously this series and in early series. So, I think the Warriors know, and and I saw Curry say in his interview, like, the Warriors have the experience to kind of Back up, you know how they're going to play in games five, six, and seven, and they can deal with the pressure, and they know how to execute. So, in my opinion, I mean, me, Acremridge, me, and John, in the last podcast, we said that the Warriors are going to win in six. I think my prediction will still stand on that. I don't know about you, Akram Ridge, but I definitely still think Warriors in six. Um, yeah, that's what I think, but. Yeah, I'd
1: probably go Warriors in six, Still, I feel like just with how well Steph Curry's playing, I I think he'll get the job done.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I think the Celtics are going to, you know, try to find ways to group. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a game. It could be game five or game six where the Celtics go up early. Um, But then the Warriors are, like, the best third-quarter team in the league. The Celtics, I mean, the Celtics could either be a really good fourth quarter team or a bad fourth quarter team. We saw in yesterday in game four where they weren't a good fourth quarter team. And we saw in game one where they were a good fourth quarter team. So you never know what could happen in the fourth quarter um, because you've had Curry play well and Napa at the same time. Um, but, yeah, so Steph Curry's averaging a lot of points, 34.3 points per game. Um, shooting very well, 50% overall, and then 49 from the three-point line. So one question for you guys, and who is your finals MVP as of right now? So not just one finals MVP overall, but I'm going to say one per every team since the city is tied up at two games all. Good question. Okay, well,
2: I
1: feel like for the Warriors, me and Mitch, we're both going to say Kerry, obviously, because –
2: yeah, I mean it's pretty pretty straightforward. You can look at his stat lines. You can look at you know how he's dictated the pace of the game, and it's yeah, yeah. And then for the
1: Celtics, I feel like it's harder though because like you have Tatum, who's who is your number one option. He's supposed to be your star player, but like Jaylen Bre- Brown is pretty much having um as good a series as Tatum really uh, up, to, up to this point. They're both averaging the same number of points. Tatum is averaging about double the assists and um, almost double the rebounds, but everything else is pretty even. Yeah. So I probably give it to Tatum still, um, but like overall, I think I think for the Celtics, it could really be. It's going to be like whoever has that big closeout game. I feel like, like if Jalen Brown, if they're in like a game six, game seven, and Jalen Brown is the one who goes off for like 35, 40 points, and then wins them the series, I think he'll get it. And if it's Tatum, then Tatum will get it, probably.
0: Yeah, because the stats are so identical. Like, Tatum and Brown are both averaging 22.3 points, seven rebounds. Now, I don't know how many assists Jalen's averaging. Um, But then shooting-wise, they're also... Jalen Brown is shooting 10% better than Tatum. But, yeah, I would say, as of right now, Tatum. But then, if you go later in in the um, series, it, it does, like what you said, it depends on who can do well in those closing out games. Um, but what do you guys think about, I just wanted to give your overall thoughts because I've seen on social media, like Draymond Green, obviously, you know, he's, he's struggling, he's playing terrible. But like, what are your thoughts on him, on social media, like on his podcast, like talking talking about like people saying that he's not focused and all that. Like, do you think it's like, oh, it's true. Like he's not really paying it, He's not putting his full focus in the finals and onto other stuff. Or do you think it's just like all rumors?
2: I mean, you could you could think that he maybe he's getting complacent. It, this isn't his first time here. Maybe he isn't treating it nearly as much of like, you know, nearly as special as you know maybe a lot of the Celtics players are on the other side of the ball. Um, you can definitely think about that, or you could just think about that. Maybe I don't know. It's just kind of his personality, and I feel like it was inevitable that he was going to like get into this situation at some point. And I think he's been taking it well outside. He's able to like laugh at himself, but you really start to question like there's being able to look at what you're doing on the court and like not let it kind of define you. But then again, this is an NBA championship. This is, you know, this is not only important to your teammates, but also to your city. And it's like, you know, when do you have to also hold yourself accountable for that? So, you know, i right.
1: sure what to think of it. Yeah, yeah and then- I personally like. I feel like he's like. I think he's too invested in in um, what's going on, what everybody's saying about him. Because, like, if you just if you just think about it, like, why does he need to respond to CJ McCollum or like um, these journalists or anybody? Why does he need to like trash them? Like, they could they can say whatever they want. I mean, that's it's just part of the game. It's kind of what happens, and especially considering how like he's averaging two points per game in the finals. <laughs> Um, I think considering how he's playing, he should really just try and focus on the game itself, tune out all distractions, and not really worry about what people are going to say about him. Because if, he, if they lose this series, he's only going to get trashed even more. Um, so I think he should just try and focus on the game as opposed to what's going on around
0: it. Right. And I think many people's opinions are changing on Draymond. I mean, actually mine even. Because I used to kind of like the Warriors a little bit. Like, I guess like, I can say that Curry is my favorite player. Like, I really liked them back in, like, maybe 2015, 2016 when they started winning some games, and they were the first team that I ever watched and all that. So, I mean, Draymond Green, I kind of lost respect for him in a way. I don't know about you guys, but if you guys just watch the highlights of the game and you see, like, his physicality, it's almost like a football game. Like, I don't he's, – he's doing too much, and I think he's just trying to, like – Make it personal with all the Celtics players. When it's just an NBA Finals, I mean, okay, yes, there is a championship at stake, which is humongous, and you worked for it. But at the end of the at the end of the day, it's it's basketball. Like, there's so many things that are more important than basketball, and you cannot just like go in and be so. I don't know what the word is. Like, not vicious. That's just taking it too far. But like physical, you know. And there's some. Like, I, I mean, like you saw him getting into an argument with like Jalen Brown, almost pulling down his pants. Like, I mean, I mean, I mean him, him and Grant Williams, like trash talking, like he's doing so many unnecessary things. Like, it's just it's just it's, it's funny and kind of disappointing. So that's I, I was I was like questioning on who I was cheering for at the beginning of the series. But now I think I'm leaning more towards Boston just because of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that one one other thing that kind of stood out about the game is that none of the games have been decided by less than 10 points? So, I mean, I think, on my opinion, Aikimish's opinion, it seems to be because like the three point shooting on the other side is unbalanced. So, is I mean, I'll ask Aikimish first because you're the one who actually tried to make the question. Like, is the three point <laughs> shot ruining basketball nowadays, considering how many threes are taken a game?
1: Well, I just like wrote that because I was just thinking about, I was looking through like the shooting. Of both teams, and usually, whoever shot way worse from three um, in the game was the one who lost uh, in this final so far. So I was just like, I was thinking about how, at least all these games they've just been blowouts, and I mean effectively, there's it's like the games have been twelve, then like thirty or something, twenty, then sixteen, and then ten. Um, there there hasn't been like a close nail biting game yet. I think the closest one was yesterday night, obviously. But usually it's because one team will get hot from the three, they'll make like five or six threes in a row, and that'll build them like a 10-15 point lead. And then the rest of the game is just like the other team trying to chip away at that um, and try and get somewhere. And and in this series so far, the team that's gone down has not been able to do that. So I was just like thinking about, is the, is the way like basketball is played where, you know, the three is essentially the most important shot. You're going for threes. You're not really shooting any mid-range. You're really... Um, emphasizing that three-point shot. Is that the way to go? Um, do you think that's, like, do you think that's good for the game? Or, I don't know. Just what are your guys' thoughts on that?
0: I mean, I don't know, because the NBA Finals has shifted. Like, you're exactly on right. Like, game one, the Celtics make five, six threes in a row. They go up by 14. And I guess that's the game. Yesterday, Steph Curry makes all his threes. The Celtics... To get those looks, like, like in my opinion, I was kind of looking at, the like, last night, I was looking at the Game 1 highlights versus the Game 4 highlights. The Celtics were getting similar looks from three-point, like they did in Game 1 yesterday. But they just made everything in Game 1, and they missed everything yesterday. So, I don't know if it's ruining basketball. But again, when you said that there are no nail-biting games, I think that every single game has, has been pretty close. Like, if you look at the end of the third quarter for each game it's been relatively close i just think that each team yeah yeah like the three-point shooting i think has like determined most of the games that's what i think
2: i guess it's like you try and think about what exactly can happen in the future where the nba can go with this whole three-point dilemma and you know i guess the the consideration that i've heard the most is obviously like maybe moving the three-point line back but then again range is also something that i mean you've seen guys taking threes from well outside that line and where's it come come to a point where like regardless of where you move that line the players are just going to adapt and i think whatever happens whatever they do they're going to adapt the athletes today are better than they ever have been and they're only going to get better and you know then it raises the question of obviously, do you get rid of it? I don't think that's going to be um, met with, you know, quite the best um, approval, but then again, where do you keep going? And you're going to, I think you're going to have to look a few more years down the line to be able to get a definitive answer of how it, you know, of how things are necessarily going to be changed by the three point grants. We've already had it for over, you know what? I think what was it like almost fifty years we've had it, but
0: then again, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's really defined it because look, look at the let's just look at the greatest highlights in basketball. All of those game winners, for example, the Damian Lord shot three pointer, the Kawhi Leonard like amazing shot three pointer, like you know, like I don't know, even the NBA finals, like Kevin Durant's clutch shots, three pointers, you know, like twenty nineteen like in game two, five, like three pointers. So I think, I mean, the three pointers have just affected the game so much. And I think that especially if you're down three, like imagine if there was no three point line, you would automatically have to make two, like two twos in order to win when you could just make one three pointer and it's tie game. Right. So I don't think it's ruining the game, but I think it's making it better. But again, there are so many slumps. I mean, I, I've seen so many highlights of NBA players practicing. They're making all their threes from what I see, or maybe it's just for the camera. I don't think it's for the camera. I think they're actually just making them. But I think in-game, it's just more pressure. You're playing, like imagine, you're you're on a stadium. Above you, there's like 20,000 people. Like, I think that would be pretty nerve-wracking if I was there. So, um, but yeah, I don't think that we've seen too many games where it's been slumps. You know, like I don't think yeah. it's been like. Shooting. I think it's been more like runs, right? Like game one, it's not like the Warriors shot bad, right? The Celtics just made so many big runs, and they played good defense. Um Unless you so watch, yeah. the- <laughs> in which case <laughs> you will go quarters without seeing a three. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, but yeah. I think that's enough on the on the NBA Finals. I mean, Game Five is Monday. Who, I have one
1: your... more question, actually. About okay, and okay. I was wondering. So let's say Steph Curry. Let's say we, our predictions are right. Um, the Warriors win in six um, or seven, either one. Steph Curry gets his Finals MVP. Do you think that he is going to be a top ten player of all time?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think when you take over an entire six game series in that fashion and you know and then win that finals mvp you're you're adding two significant pieces of hardware to an already stellar resume and you know i think at that point
0: you just have to fold and give him give him the credit yeah for me (laughs) steph curry i mean look at his career right he has three rings yeah three rings No finals MVP, he has three rings, he has two MVPs. You know, he broke the all-time three-point shooting record. And, I mean, I can imagine he's, how old is he? He's like 34 now. He's probably going to play for four or five more years. He's going to score plenty more three-pointers. So I think that it will be really hard for somebody to break his record. And I think the closest current player right now is James Harden. And I think James Harden is just a little bit older than than Steph. So I think that Steph, I mean, James Harden won't be able to pass Steph. And then if Steph wins, he has four titles. He does have one Finals MVP. So compared to like, I don't know what what's a top ten player like, I don't know, like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. I think Steph Curry has 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 his right because if you look at the guards, Magic Johnson may be the, the close like Magic Johnson. I mean, there's Reggie Miller, but everyone's saying Curry is already above Reggie Miller, which I actually I think I agree with. But you have Magic Johnson, and then. Other guard. I don't even know any other guard. Oh, Michael Jordan's a guard. Okay, fine. Let's, we can consider Michael Jordan a guard. Michael Jordan is better, obviously. But I think Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, and Kobe. Like, Steph Curry, I don't know if he could be like, – what do you guys think? Like, if Steph Curry wins, would he be added to the mix of, like, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, and Kobe? Or do you think he's still kind of far away and he needs something even more to be in those discussions?
2: Well, I think that also begs the question of, like, how much do we value – three-point shot in someone's career. He's become yeah, the sure. best three-point shooter of all time. And you've got to ask the question, how valuable is that like as part of your resume compared to like a lot of the guys who played in you know the early stages of that who don't have that as part of their as part of their resume. And I think that, you know, as we've been saying, the game is growing and adapting. Three-point shot has been ingrained into the game, and now that Steph Curry has mastered it, um, I think you have to hold that to a higher record because he's playing with, you know, in an era with a lot of other players who have also gotten so, you know, accustomed and so good at shooting that three ball, and he's just taking it to a whole nother level. And, you know, you got to look at some of the athletes before him who, you know, they were playing with great le- like great players like MJ. You know, he was playing with a lot of legends himself, but he was at a whole another level in his own respect. So I guess you've got two masters of their craft who took part of the game and elevated it. And, you know, you got to, I guess, now ask the question, which one do you value more?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think for me, I put him in top 10 just because of the hardware itself, but also, at least for me, in the greatest, and when talking about like the greatest players, I think Impact does have its own category. And just because of the fact that he changed the game so much, like you, you shoot threes because of Curry, um, because of what he did in 2015, 2014. Like you say Curry when you pull up on the So, because of that, like because of how he essentially changed the way the NBA thought about, um, shooting three. I wouldn't say he like changed it, but he accelerated it to becoming a lead that's almost based on getting open three-point shots. Um, I think that that, along with all of his resume, I think that's what boosts him into top 10. I think that you could have discussions about him being on the same level, if not better, than like uh, Tim Duncan, maybe. I think I think I think you also have to think about like he's going to be playing at at this level. Let's say at least another two years, so he's going to get his all star. He's going to get his all NBA. By the way,
2: he's thirty four.
1: Yeah, I I think another thirty
2: two.
0: Yeah,
1: I think I think like two more years is is not unreasonable for him to be playing at this level, Um, considering how he hasn't really slowed down so far. I don't think he's going to be like LeBron playing at thirty eight years old, um, you know. But I, I think that he'll definitely have some high high all-star all-nba level uh, left into him so i think he'll get the all-star appearances he'll get the all-nba recognition he will probably get all those things and i think at the end of the day when you look at his resume um when he retires i think he'll be solidly
0: like top eight top seven yeah as a minimum like i mean i don't know when you guys play basketball, but like everyone kind of has names of great player when they shoot like the mid, like a fadeaway could be Kobe. Uh, now if Curry's a three point shot, LeBron or Michael Jordan could be like, a, like Michael Jordan could be anything, but like LeBron is probably like a dunk or a mid range or something. I don't know. But like everyone kind of has their own special shot. And obviously Steph Curry, I, think, I mean, I think without Steph Curry, there's no really, I mean, I guess you can say that Damon Lillard is like a good three point shoot. I mean, he is obviously, but like, Steph Curry really changed it like for all time like everybody. Like he's made like 3000 threes, like it's crazy. So I mean, so I definitely think that he's changed it and I think he deserves to be in the top 10. Um but yeah guys, so I think moving on from the NBA finals and all this, I think we can move on to this. There's, there's three things I wanted to talk about other than Bas- than the uh, NBA finals. We had Warriors assistant Kenny Atkinson, he was hired the head coach of the Charlotte Hornets. So, what do you guys think about that? Because I'm thinking who could be Lamelo Ball's new mentor going into next season. It looks like Kenny Atkinson will be his new coach. What do you guys think about that?
1: I think it was. I think it's good. It's good because Kenny Atkinson in Brooklyn, uh, when he was last coach, he was known for his player development and his youth development. So, um, having him there to develop guys like LaMelo, like Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, and essentially their entire young core. I think that's going to be great uh, for the Hornets. But I don't think that, I think one thing that the Hornets shouldn't do is like place some crazy expectations on them. Like, oh, we expect you to get to the playoffs or something immediately. Um, I think they should just give them some time and then he'll hopefully produce. But I, th- I think it's a good hire and definitely better than their last couple.
2: Yeah, I think you could really call it kind of the final piece of this, like, long-standing rebuild. And like Ekmrush was, was saying, you've got to limit your expectations and you've got to realize that, you know, if it is the last piece, it's not going to be the end-all be-all. It's, you still have to make sure that everything fits together and you've got to make sure that he's the right guy. Because if everything looks good on paper, you have to at least give it a season to make sure that, you know, things are actually going to gel kind of like in person is he going to gel with the locker room is he going to gel with the rest of his staff and you know you could you know you could look at his history and say well i think that it's it's a given that you know things are going to go well and this is going to be the guy that we think he is but i think you've got to give it you're going to need a better sample size than just kind of like what we've seen and what his past his resume pretty much is projecting for him
0: yep yeah, I definitely agree on that. And, you know, being around many Hornets fans every day, living in Charlotte, hopefully we can win something. So I don't come to school every day and everyone's sad. So. Um, but the NBA draft is coming up this summer. Obviously, we have a ton of really good guys coming out of college that are going to play for NBA teams. So who is your top three mock draft predictions? I don't know if you guys – I mean, I can imagine you guys probably follow some college basketball – I'm personally not a big fan, but I am aware of the big names. But who do you guys think is going to be like top three in the draft?
2: Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith is one of my favorite prospects in the entire, you know, in the entire draft process, pros, sorry, in the entire draft process, you look at his measurables, you look at his ability to, like you're saying, shoot the three, which is obviously the huge part of this, um, you know, this day and age. And he is going to, I would say he's probably the most NBA ready, certainly more, I would say than a Chet Green, which a lot of people have had, you know, some flip-flopping opinions on regarding his size and his build, as well as his, um, I think he, I think his defensive prowess is not something that you can ignore and having somebody that size certainly helps. It's, certainly a lot more common in today's game and people are calling him kind of like a bit of a unicorn. And I feel like that's placing a bit too much on him. I feel like he's, he could still be a top three, top five talent, but if he doesn't like perform nearly to that, um, to the standard that's been placed upon him, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised. And I personally would pick a player like Javari Smith or Paula Bancaro over the likes of him, although I would still consider that part of my top three, along with guys like maybe, um, I guess, H- Jukes, AJ Griffin. You could also include Jalen Duran. You could include um, Benedict Matherin up there in kind of like the top 10, a lot of the top guards, which includes Keegan Murray, another forward. You can include um, Jaden Ivey out of Purdue. I mean, there's a good, I would say there's a good, um, uh, kind of like good distribution of talent across the floor available to these, to these teams. And I'm strictly thinking from a Detroit perspective, unfortunately going down to the seventh pick, but you know, I, I think there's a lot, it's a lot deeper than a lot of people give it credit for. And I think there's more outside of them. Those, those top three names.
1: Yeah, I think, honestly, even though the Magic have the number one pick, I think it's actually hardest for them to, to make a decision on what they're going to do. Because, at least for uh, the teams below them, Thunder and... I forget who has the third pick off the top of my head. But the two teams below them, like whoever the Magic select, the teams below them are just going to select the other two based on their uh, individual needs. Um, but the Magic have the decision to either take Chet, and see if he's going to answer the questions that are posed to him with his size. They're going to take uh, Jabari Smith, as you said, or if they're going to take Paulo Bencaro. And I think after that, it kind of falls in line. Like if Chad is off the board, then you're probably going to take Jabari Smith and then Paulo. Or if Paulo is off the board, it's going to be uh, Jabari and the Chad. I feel like it's going to be up to the Magic and what their pick is um, for the other two to for the other two top three picks to really make a decision on who they're going to take.
0: Yeah, in my opinion. I mean, based on just like the whole rosters right now, I think that the match should take Chet because you have Chet and Jalen Suggs, and I think they would have good chemistry. But I think overall, Chet Hungry needs to like get more muscle. I mean, I, I just, I just because like he's big, right? So he's up he's like, what, seven feet tall, maybe a little bit taller. So like you have a seven foot guy who can body people. That's already a great team. And I think he, that's a winning team. So, um, but then with the Rockets, who have the third pick, I think that Paul Banchero could fit in great with that team because you have Jalen Green, you have Kevin Porter Jr., and then you bring in Bonchero. So you already have, like, Jalen Green, you have Kevin Porter, you have Bonchero, you have Christian Wood, and then you have some other guys um, in that uh, – who's a center. I don't remember the centers, but I remember there's somebody decent. So the Rockets can have, like, a decent team who could possibly go on to the play-in, but – Again, it's too early to say because we're still in. Yeah, so we're still Yeah, exactly. So we're still in this season. So it's too early to tell because you don't know, you don't know the trades that are going to happen next season. Like there's so many rumors on who could go where, you know, the Jazz have their big, you know, Quinn Snyder being, stepping down. And then you have, you know, Rudy Gobert who might go to like a place. I think actually Toronto is his like, one of the top teams to maybe get in, but now I'm in Mitchell. So I think the, so there's so many teams who have problems. There's so many teams who are doing well. So, um, but I think guys, with that information, we can close out today's podcast. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks Mitch, for coming on the podcast. And um, before we end, make sure to subscribe on YouTube and thanks for the support on there and on Instagram. Um, we're going to be doing our, our weekly posts. And with that being said, me and A-Commerce, will see you guys next time.